John 18, verse 28, Then led they Jesus from Caiaphas unto the hall of judgment, and it was early. They themselves went not into the judgment hall, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. Pilate then went out unto them and said, What accusation bring ye against this man? They answered and said unto him, If he were not a malefactor, we would not have delivered him up unto thee. And Pilate said unto them, Take ye him and judge him according to your law. The Jews therefore said unto him, It is not lawful for us to put any man to death. That the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spake, signifying what death he should die. Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again and called Jesus and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it thee of me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and the chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Pilate saith unto him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews, and saith unto them, I find in him no fault at all. But ye have a custom that I should release unto you one at the Passover. Will ye therefore that I release unto you the king of the Jews? Then cried they all again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Have you ever been a substitute? Now I grew up playing baseball. I've thought about this. You know, I wasn't big enough to play football, wasn't tall enough to play basketball, so I had to learn to play baseball. And that was my sport. I never wanted to be a substitute. I always wanted to be one of the starters. You know, a lot of times a substitute, maybe when the score is lopsided in your favor, they'll stick the substitute in, you know. We can't, we can't lose now if we put Jimmy in, you know. We've got too big of a lead or maybe something like that. Or if somebody gets injured, they put the substitute in. I never wanted really to be a substitute, but a substitute can be a good thing. I decided to just run a quick Google check on the definition of substitute. I didn't want to bother to go to Webster, so I went to Google's and it says a substitute is a person or thing acting or serving in place of another. Oh, that's a good definition of what a substitute is. Then it gave an illustration. And the illustration is this. Soy milk is used as a substitute for dairy milk. I didn't care too much for the illustration. In fact, you know, thinking about my substituting, I tried substitute teaching for a while. I'd rather drink soy milk than, you know. <laughs> substitute teaching gave me the opinion that every parent ought to have to substitute at least one day out of the school year and get to see what their children act like at school, okay? But anyway, being a substitute, we're going to talk about the substitute this morning. We're going to talk about the only substitute here in John chapter 18. 
Now, if you begin reading in verse 28, and these are the things that we read. We're just going to review those events right quickly till we get down to about verse 35. But Jesus had been taken before Annas, who is the father-in-law of the high priest Caiaphas. He was sent to Caiaphas, bound according to the scripture. Matthew chapter 26, verses 57 through 65, give us an account of what I call the mock trial and the kangaroo court that Jesus faced. You know, they had to hire false witnesses against him to say that he said things that he didn't say and so forth and so on. They really wanted to put Jesus to death. And so in verses 66 and 67, Jesus is given the death sentence. Then, after receiving the death sentence, he's mocked, he's abused, he's spit upon, he's slapped, his beard is pulled. And Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3 You know, sometimes we get feeling sorry. I don't know about, maybe you don't. Maybe I'm the only one that does this. Sometimes we get feeling sorry for ourselves, don't we? The way people treat us, just because I'm a child of God, just because I want to witness of the Lord. Hebrews 12, 3 says, For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. See, that's the first place we faint is in our minds. We give up. We quit. We say, boy, it's too much. It's too rough. It's too hard. And so I don't like all that's happening to me, all of the things that are being said about me or the way I'm being treated because I'm witnessing a Christ, so we just don't want to do it. And we get ready to quit. We shouldn't do that. Jesus has suffered a lot more than we ever will, folks. And he did it for his enemies, not for his friends. Because before we were saved, the scripture says we were at enmity with God. We were enemies to God. We were going away from God. So Caiaphas sends Jesus to Pilate's judgment hall. Of course, we know Herod wanted, Pilate sent Jesus to Herod because Herod just wanted to see a miracle. Wanted to see Jesus do something. He had heard about Jesus. And you know, that's what a lot of people are like today. They want to get close to Jesus. They want to know about Jesus. They want to be familiar with Jesus because maybe he'll do something for me. Maybe he'll perform for me in some way. And I can just say, well, I've been close to Jesus. Herod sent Jesus back to Pilate. And he's before the Roman governor. And we come to verse 36. And Pilate asked him a pointed question. Art thou the king of the Jews. Now, if Jesus had said at that point, speaking in a very physical, earthly sense at that point, I'm the king of the Jews, then Pilate could have issued the death penalty right there. The people were to have no king but Caesar. And so anybody that made himself a king above Caesar was certainly do the, the death penalty. But Jesus said, my kingdom's not of this world. And we know that. We know that now Jesus is coming back and he's going to set up his kingdom on this earth for a thousand years. We know that also. But at that point, he said, my kingdom is not of this world because if it were, my servants would fight. Now, over in the book of Matthew, the 13th chapter, we have the parable of the wheat and the tares. How many are familiar with that parable? Parable of the wheat and the tares. You know, the parable goes this way. Jesus is giving an illustration and I believe about the parables that they are real accounts. People say, well, parables are made up stories. No, Jesus, being God, knew what had happened upon this earth prior to his coming in a physical body. And so he gives the account of a man who had a field and was growing wheat. 
And his enemy came in and sowed tares, weeds among the wheat. And his servants go out and they find it and they start asking what to do. And the master of the house says, just let them both grow together. Let them grow. The time will come when there'll be a time of harvest. And in the time of harvest, you'll be able to separate the wheat from the tares. In fact, Jesus gives the interpretation of this parable in verses 37 through 43. And he says this, the field is the world. The good seed, the wheat, is the children of the kingdom. That's saved folks. The tares are the children of the wicked one. That's those who don't know Christ as Savior. The enemy, he says, is the devil who has sown the tares and the master of the house, the Lord said, let them grow together. Well, what's that telling us, preacher? What are you talking about? In this parable, Jesus is saying, look, there's coming a time of separation of the righteous from the unrighteous. And we do not have to seek to advance the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ by violence. Now, there's some religions that hadn't learned that. We know this. There's some that think that's the way to advance the kingdom of their God is to destroy people, to kill people, to kill innocent people. During the dark ages, 50 million Anabaptists lost their lives because they stood for the word of God. Some today in Christ's name who call themselves Christians in Christ's name will blow up abortion clinics or kill abortion doctors and they say, the Lord told me to do it. I got news for you. The Lord didn't tell them to do that. Others kill in the name of Allah. But folks, Christ's kingdom is not of this world. Then Jesus revealed his purpose for coming into the world, that I should bear witness of the truth. And so Pilate asked the question, and maybe you've asked this question before. So many people ask this question today. What is truth? What is truth? Well, I'll tell you what truth is. Truth is the word of God. Jesus said in John chapter 17, in his prayer there in the 17th chapter of John, he said, I've given them thy word. And then later on he says, thy word is truth. Jesus is the embodiment of truth. John chapter 14, verse 6, he says, I am the way. He's talking about the only way to God. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. As to his essence and character, Jesus is truth. Because he's God. And God is all truthful and God is always truthful. I think I asked a question in Sunday school. We were reading in the 18th chapter of the book of Acts. And God spoke to Paul. And he said, don't worry, Paul, don't fear. I'm, I'm taking care of you. I know I'm paraphrasing this, okay? I'm taking care of you. Don't worry about things. And I said, isn't that a great comfort when God gives you a promise? You should never doubt it when God gives you a promise. When God says it's going to be all right, it's going to be all right. You can trust God. Now, it may not be all right the way we think of all right, but it's going to be all right because God said so. As to his teaching and example, Jesus is truth because he taught God's word and God's word is truth. As to his death, his burial, and his resurrection, by the way, which showed mankind his deity as well as mankind's lost condition. You know one of the things Paul reasoned with the Jews about? That the Messiah must needs suffer and die. And then he presented Jesus as the Messiah. Jesus needed to come and he needed to die because we would not have hope of salvation had he not done that. 
And then Jesus told Pilate, everybody that hears me. Everybody that, well, he wasn't talking just hearing with the ears. Remember, he said, let those that have ears to hear, let them hear. And he wasn't talking about physical ears. He's talking about spiritual ears. He's talking about the ability to understand what is being said from his word. He taught from the word of God. And he said, everyone that is of the truth hears me. He reveals his mankind's lost condition to the Jews and they rejected him. He revealed to Pilate his own lost condition. And we're going to talk about Pilate in just a moment. But Jesus is truth. Then in verses 38 through 40, we come to what I call the bulk of the message. Because Pilate brings a question before the Jews. It's a question that everybody has to answer. It's a question that's in Matthew chapter 27 verse 22. He asked the question, what shall I do with Jesus? You realize that everyone here must answer that question. Some of us have answered that question this way. I'm going to accept him as Savior. Some have answered that question this way. I'll accept him as Savior and Lord of my life. You know, there are folks that want to wear the name of Jesus who want his salvation, who don't want to make him Lord of their lives and don't want to serve him. But some have answered the question, I will not only receive him as Savior, I will receive him as Lord of my life. And so Pilate asks that question, and he presents a choice. You have this custom that on the day of the Passover, at the time of the Passover, I release one prisoner to you. I've got this one prisoner named Barabbas, and I've got Jesus. Now, I will probably repeat this in a moment, but I'm going to say it here. Pilate probably spent a long time as a Roman governor judging men. He thought that he knew men so well, people so well, that he could look on a crowd and he could say, uh, I know how they're going to choose. By the way, we're that way sometimes, aren't we? We can look at people and say, well, I, I know what you're thinking. By the way, if you've been married a long time, that happens a lot. <laughs> I've become convinced that a wife not only knows what her husband's thinking, she can tell him what he's thinking before he ever thinks it. <laughs> you know. But I'm sure Pilate thought, I'll just offer them Barabbas because I know what Barabbas is and I'll offer them Jesus and they'll choose Jesus. And so he, he asked, what, what am I going to do with Jesus? We have this custom that I'm going to release one to you. And so he asked this, Will ye therefore that I release unto you the king of the Jews? Now going back to Matthew for just a moment, Matthew tells us that they had a notable prisoner named Barabbas. I said we're going to talk about him in a moment. But see, here's what Pilate knew. And this also is in the book of Matthew chapter 27. Pilate knew that the Jews had delivered Jesus to him for envy. For envy. They were jealous of him. Envy's a bad thing. Envy will cause you to do some bad things. And so they had delivered Jesus for the sake of envy. And Pilate knew it. And as Roman governor, again, he, he thought he knew what they would choose, but he grossly underestimated the evil that's in the hearts of unsaved mankind. Of course, we know that the people, listen to this, stirred by the religious leaders. And we know that being stirred up by the religious leaders, the crowd cried out for Barabbas to be released and for Jesus to be crucified. 
But you know, even in that, we're provided a beautiful, beautiful picture of the substitutionary death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to look at. I only have two points to this message this morning. But first of all, I want us to see what I call the standing of Barabbas. The standing of Barabbas. He was in a very perilous condition. Mark says of him in Mark chapter 15, there was one named Barabbas which lay bound with them that had made insurrection with him who had committed murder in the insurrection. So what picture do you get of Barabbas? He had made insurrection or riot or commotion against the Roman government. He was opposed to Roman rule. And so he was going to do that. And in the midst of everything, the word of God says that he had committed murder. So here he is, guilty of insurrection. I'm sure they'd had a trial and they'd found Barabbas guilty. Guilty of insurrection, guilty of murder. Luke 23 says he, for a certain sedition made in the city and for murder was cast into prison. John tells us he was a robber. We would say today of Barabbas, he wasn't a good man. I don't think you'd want Barabbas living next door to you. This is the kind of person that Barabbas was. By the way, when it, John says he was a robber, he's not talking about what we'd call today a sneak thief. That word robber has the idea of somebody who plunders by violence and open forth. In other words, Barabbas would be somebody who would do a home invasion. He would just knock down your door and come into your home if he wanted to and take whatever he wanted to take by violence. And so that's Barabbas as we see him today. Now, some suggest that Barabbas was even a member of the Zechariah, which was a militant Jewish group that sought to overthrow the Roman government. So we have to conclude then that he's been tried, he's been found guilty, he is in prison, and that he has received the death sentence. Barabbas is going to be crucified. But just hold that thought because I'm going to insert something right here. Barabbas is a perfect picture of every human being. Amen. Every man, woman, boy, and girl born into this world is pictured in Barabbas. Listen to Romans chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 11 through 18. Romans chapter 3 describe the condition of a natural man, of a person without Christ. For a person who has never come to God in repentance and placed their faith in Jesus Christ. First of all, it says, there's none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. That's verse 11. We have churches today that say they're seeking seekers. And the word of God says, none of them seek after God. Nobody seeks after God. Amen. I believe the word of God, by the way. And so if nobody seeks after God and churches are seeking seekers, what are they going to be offering the seekers? The things that appeal to the flesh. None of them seek after God. Verse 12, they're all gone out of the way. They are together, become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. You ever said to somebody, well, they're a good person? God sees everyone in their spiritual condition. And people that are without Christ... The, the scripture says in the book of Proverbs says even the plowing of the wicked is sin. He says in Isaiah that all of our righteousnesses, the very best that a person can do without Christ is as filthy rags. And those talks about the rags that wrapped the oozing sores of leprosy and were good for nothing but burning after they had been removed from the leper. There's none that doeth good, no, not none. Now listen to this description. Their throat is an open sepulcher. You know what a sepulcher is? It's a grave 
Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips. We had a question or an observation in Sunday school this morning, and I think it's true. So you can use the Ten Commandments to cause somebody to realize their lost condition. One commandment says, thou shalt not bear false witness. That means you shouldn't lie. Yes, somebody, have you ever told a lie? I said, most people will admit to telling a little white lie. By the way, there's no difference between a little white lie and a big black lie. You understand that. A lie is a lie is a lie, and a lie is sin. And so you can ask people, have you ever told a lie? Well, yes, I've told a lie. Well, guess what? The Bible says you're a sinner. The Bible says you're lost. The Bible says you're without Christ if you've never accepted him as Savior. Galatians chapter 3 verse 24 says this, that the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ that we might be saved through faith. The word of God in the law convicts the lost person's heart. And in fact, Jesus raised the standard from the letter of the law in the Sermon on the Mount, raised the standard from the letter of the law to the spirit of the law. And he said this, if you've ever been angry at someone without cause, you've committed murder in your heart. Ever thought about somebody and said, boy, I wish they were dead. I'd like to just wring their neck. Well, I've said that about children sometimes, so I better not say <laughs> Sometimes I'd like to pinch their heads off, right? But just had this hatred and anger towards someone. Well, Jesus said, that's committing murder in your heart. If a man looks on a woman to lust after her, what's he done? He's committed adultery in his heart. It's not just the physical act, it's the heart. God sees the heart. We see the outside. We see the person, but we don't see the heart. God sees the heart. And Jesus is saying it's what's in the heart. It doesn't matter how good a person someone appears to be to the world. If they don't have Christ as Savior, God sees their heart and God knows their lost condition and they are lost. Verse 14, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Verse 15, their feet are swift to shed blood. You know, you can kill somebody without killing them. You can destroy their reputation through gossip, through innuendo, through the things you say about them. And though their life is not taken, their worth is taken in the eyes of many people because of things we say about them sometimes. Destruction and misery are in their ways. Verse 17, in the way of peace they have not known. And look at verse 18. There is no fear of God before their eyes. We live in a world today, folks, we live in a nation today when the majority of the people in this nation have absolutely no fear of God. If you listen to what people say and listen to the way they joke sometimes about God, they don't mind offending God. I tell you what, I'm scared to offend God. If you've ever been chastened by God, you know what it's like and you don't ever want that to happen again. Right? But we live in a time when there's very little... I mean, just look around at empty church houses today. There's very little reverence and respect among God's people Amen. for God. Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21 tell us about the fleshly nature. Now, you're going to say, that's not me, preacher, but I'm telling you, the Word of God says, this is what's in your flesh, this is what is in my flesh, okay? I'm not just trying to 
be mean to you. I'm talking about me too. This is what is in our flesh. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. That's what is in this flesh. How'd it get there? It was born into us. God has a very simple law that I call God's law of reproduction. And it's found over in the book of Genesis, the first chapter and the 11th verse. And in other verses after that, it says, let everything bring forth after his kind. Isn't that simple? What comes up when you plant an acorn? An oak tree. You wouldn't plant an acorn and expect a pine tree to come up. You wouldn't expect a pecan tree to come up. Somebody planted acorns in our front yard. We got the squirrels did. We got a bunch of little oak trees coming up in our front yard. You plant corn, what do you expect to come up? Not green beans. You expect whatever you plant to come up. Because that's just God's natural law. Well, in the book of Genesis, we see Adam sinning against God, and Adam and Eve become sinners, separated from God. They hid from him there in the garden. You can't hide from God, by the way, but they hid from him. And so all Adam could produce after that, and we all go back to Adam. Read the 17th chapter of the book of Acts. God has made us all of one, and that's talking about Adam. We all come from the same source. And if Adam was a sinner, according to God's law of reproduction, you know what? All we can produce is sinners. Amen. And little sweet Eden, I love her. She's just as cute. And, but you know what? She was born a sinner with a sin nature that separates her from God. And one day she'll need to come to the point where she repents toward God and puts her faith in Christ to be saved. Romans 6.23 shows us what this nature deserves for the wages of sin is death. Both physical death and spiritual death. You know, Adam died immediately. Not physically, but he died immediately when he sinned against God because he was separated from God by sin. And he eventually died physically. That's where death comes from. And so it's coming and the wages of sin is death. Now, right quickly, I want to read Ephesians chapter 2. We're talking about the condition of the unsaved today, the condition and the previous condition of believers. If you look over to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians, the second chapter, the first three verses, the Apostle Paul reminds those believers and reminds us, God through the Apostle Paul reminds those believers and reminds us of our condition before we were saved. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power there. You know who that is? That's Satan. According to the prince of the power there, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, and the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others, deserving God's wrath, deserving separation from God for eternity. That's where we were. If you're a child of God today, that's where you were. Amen. Until that point, you came to know Christ as Savior. But I love the way verse 4 starts. But God. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in, in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace you're saved. 
I love that little word, but, so often in the scriptures. God was going to destroy the world with a flood, but Noah found grace in the eyes of God. You were all deserving wrath, but God, because of his great mercy and his great love for us. We may sit here this morning comfortable and some are warm and some are too warm, I guess, this morning, and I apologize for that. But we may sit here this morning very comfortable and everything, and we can judge Barabbas. Yes, he was worthy of the death penalty. He was a sorry sinner. He was a robber. He was a murderer. He was an insurrectionist, and he deserved it. But you know, if you don't know Jesus Christ as Savior, you deserve the eternal death, the everlasting death that the Word of God talks about in Romans chapter 6. And verse 23, John chapter 3, verse 18, reminds us that a lost man will not someday be condemned. The scripture says he's condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. He's already condemned. He's already judged by God as worthy of eternal separation from God. John chapter 3, verse 36, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. So there's Barabbas. And there's the situation Barabbas was in. He is waiting for the jailer to come and take him and execute him. But then there was a substitute. I know the way it went, and we read it in the scriptures that there's just people trying to get rid of Jesus, but Jesus stepped in, and Barabbas was released. We've already noted that, that they had this custom at the Passover feast and, and the time of the Passover to release a prisoner. There seems to be little doubt in my mind. Now, you may differ with me on this, but there seems to be a little doubt in my mind that Pilate wanted to release Jesus. I think it was in his heart. He wanted to let Jesus go. Remember what his wife told him? His wife came to him and says, have nothing to do with this just man. This is Matthew 27. For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. Pilate, don't, don't, don't. Send him to, just, you better be careful, Pilate. I've suffered a lot of things in a dream. In Luke chapter 23, verse 22, Pilate asked, Why, what evil hath he done? I found no cause of death in him. Pilate, as the judge, as the Roman governor, keeps saying, I can't find anything in him, any reason that he ought to be put to death. John chapter 18, verse 39, he seems to be trying to persuade the crowd to say, release Jesus, because look at how he asked the question. Will ye therefore that I release unto you the king of the Jews? I don't think Pilate wanted to condemn Jesus to the cross. But like I said, he's already misjudged the evil that is in the heart of unsaved mankind. So what does he do? Verse 24 of Matthew 27, when Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was made, he took water. And he washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. But, he said, see ye to it. Do what you want to do with him. I'm free of the blood of Jesus. Listen, you can't take soap and water and wash the blood of Jesus away from you. Amen. You can't say, I'm not going to do anything with Jesus. You see, when a, when a person, you've got to either accept Jesus or reject him. There's no middle ground. 
And when a person says, well, here's what I decide, I'm going to decide not to decide right now. You know what you just did? You just rejected Jesus. When Jesus is preached, when Jesus is presented, as he, when he's shown as the only way of eternal life, the only way of salvation, you've got to decide. And there are people that will listen to a message like this. Maybe everybody here is saved. I pray that you are. Maybe everybody here has repented toward God and put your faith in Christ. I pray that that's so. But there are people who are unsaved who will hear a message like this and who will say, well, I'm not going to decide right now. They just rejected Jesus. Barabbas was released. And Jesus, the very Son of God, yea, God the Son, God in the flesh, was beaten, and he was scourged, and he was crucified. Many years ago, a young man named Gary Eisenhower wrote a song. I know there are several versions of this song with the same name, but this is the one I'm familiar with. Brother Gary wrote this song called, Jesus Took My Cross. It's also called Barabbas' Song. I think it's a wonderful song. I am Barabbas, my life won't be long I fought Roman soldiers, I'm condemned for my wrong. Today is the day I bear the cross made for me. Here comes the jailer. He's turning the key. I was the one for whom the cross was made. Guilty of sin, the price must be paid. For my lawless actions all over the land, they'll be driving a nail in my hand. As the jailer enters, my mouth turns so dry, I stand up and ask him, is it my time to die? He tells me sincerely with a smile on his face, you don't have to die. Someone's taken your place. I was the one for whom the cross was made guilty of sin, yet my price was paid. By Jesus of Nazareth, his torn flesh I see. Thank you, dear stranger, for dying for me. Amen. Just like Barabbas, what a shape we were in. We'd broken God's law. We were condemned for our sin. But Jesus, God's son, went to Calvary to die on the cross for you and for me. Amen. We were the ones for whom the cross was made. Guilty of sin, yet our price was paid. By Jesus of Nazareth, his torn flesh I see. Thank you, dear Savior, for dying for me. Listen, folks, Jesus, somebody said it this way, and I always like this, Jesus endured my hell, and he endured your hell. Hanging there on the cross, remember, is quoted in Psalm 22. It's also quoted in the scriptures. He's hanging there on the cross and he cries out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And at that moment, Jesus took on himself the sin of the world and God the Father and God the Son were separated as they had never been before. And he did it for who? While we were yet enemies, Christ died for us. I don't understand Maybe I'm just not too bright. But I don't understand how someone could accept the grace of God, apply the blood of Jesus, and be a child of God and not want to faithfully serve God. To be a faithful servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just like Barabbas, we were condemned, we were guilty, we were deserving of God's punishment. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I mentioned Romans 6.23, The wages of sin is death. It goes on to say, But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Revelation chapter 20, Because 
Romans 6.23 talks about spiritual death. I mentioned that, but Romans chapter 20, verses 14 and 15, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. All the way back in Genesis, when God told Adam of the consequences of disobedience, God said, thou shalt surely die. The Hebrew reads this way, in dying, thou shalt die. And God told Adam, when you disobey, you're going to die physically, but you're also going to die spiritually. And Adam died spiritually first, and eventually he died physically. But death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And listen to verse 15. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. We were confined in sin's jail, folks. And most of this world, most of our nation is confined in sin's jail. They're going through life. They're serving some religion or no religion at all. They think everything's okay. Some have been taught that you came from nothing. You go to nothing. Don't worry about it. Some have been taught that you're just the result of some cosmic accident. Don't worry about it. Some have been taught that there's no eternity. And when you die, you're just like Rover. You're dead all over. And there is no life after death. They're confined in sin's jail. They've been given the message Satan wants them to hear. And they have believed that message. But listen to 1 John chapter 4, 10. Chapter 4, verse 10. Herein is love. Not that we loved God. You know what? Before you came to know Christ as Savior, you didn't love God. Oh, Brother Jim, don't say that. I did love God. I was raised in church. I loved God. No, the scripture says you didn't love God. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or the satisfaction for our sins. Jesus paid my sin debt and he paid your sin debt and he paid the sin debt for every person in this world that ever has been or ever will be. That's the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. I like the way Peter puts it in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. For as much as you know you are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. That means you just got your sin nature from your parents, okay? I'm convinced that we men are the ones that pass it along, all right? Amen. But with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him to believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. This may sound strange. I'm glad I am what I am. And by that, I mean a, a member of a Baptist church, one of the Lord's churches. But the name Baptist won't save you. The waters in that baptistry won't save you. Having your name on the church roll won't save you. Being a good person won't save you. There's only one thing that will save you, and that is the blood of Jesus Christ, which is applied by faith. Hebrews 9.22 says, without shedding of blood, there is no remission. And Hebrews 10.4 says, the blood of bulls and goats can't take away sin. Only the precious blood of Jesus. And it is applied by faith. And just like Jesus took the cross that was made for Barabbas, he took the cross and endured the separation from God that we should have to endure. We, in all 
Honesty should have to endure separation from God. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so Jesus came and he took on the form of a man and he willingly went to the cross. And you know why he did it? 2 Corinthians 5.21 that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Listen, Jim Harris has no righteousness of his own. I said last week, I think it was, maybe it was the week before, if you see anything good right here, you praise God for it because just like the Apostle Paul said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. I could have been a Barabbas. I could have been a drug dealer. I could have been a murderer. I could have been a thief. But by the grace of God, he saved me. You say, but Brother Jim, we know you. We know your background. You were raised in a Christian. It doesn't matter. There are a lot of people raised in Christian homes that are outside the will of God and have committed heinous crimes. And by the grace of God, I'm standing here today. And if you're saved, you can say, by the grace of God, I'm sitting here this morning. Barabbas knew something. He knew that he stood under the righteous judgment of the law. He knew that he deserved to die for the crimes that he had committed. I mean, he had been judged. He had been found guilty. Sentence had been passed. And he knew, I believe in his heart, he did not deserve to go free. But then he knew this. Somebody took my place. He may not have known the name of the somebody that took his place, but he knew that that someone was innocent, was a true substitute, was the only substitute. And what we know about that someone is that he died a perfectly efficacious or substitutionary death. Nothing has to be added to the death of Jesus for salvation. You know, there's some folks want to add, I said, baptism and church membership and things like that. No. If the blood of Jesus was not enough to be saved, folks, we can't be saved. If man has to add his works to the blood of Jesus, to the sacrifice of Jesus, that's going to taint the sacrifice. And then taint no good, right? <laughs> Here's what we need to know. If you're a child of God, you've already accepted Christ's substitutionary death as the payment for your sin. He asked one thing. He does not ask us to die for him. You know, there's some religions, they ask their adherents to die, you know. Kill others and die yourself in the process and you'll have all these rewards. Well, Jesus doesn't ask us to do that. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed. The world wants to conform us. And be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Jesus doesn't say die for me. He says live for me. Live for me and tell others about me. And with all that he has done for us, how can we be like Judas and betray him? Or how can we be like Peter and deny him? Jesus deserves our loyalty, folks. He deserves our devotion. He deserves our faithfulness. He deserves everything that we have that we can give him in service to him. And not so we'll get a pat on the back. Not so we'll get rewards, though there are rewards for faithful service of God. 
but just out of our great love for Jesus. And if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me tell you this. You do not have to die the second death. But preacher, I've done this and I've done this and I've done this. There may be people watching my live stream. And they say, I've done this and this and this and this. So, you don't have to die the second death. Jesus came and he died for you. He has suffered your separation from God. He willingly went to the cross and hung there. And he's willing to be, you know, I was always willing to be the, you know, if I wasn't in the game, I always wanted to go in for somebody, you know. <laughs> I'll, I'll, you know, I'll catch if I have to, you know. And that wasn't my favorite position. But I'll catch if I have to, you know, just to get in the game. Jesus is willing to be a substitute for anybody who will, in repentance, and that's turning to God, and ask him to save him, trusting this price that he paid on the cross, and applying his blood by faith, Jesus is willing to be your substitute this morning. I'm so thankful that God supplied a substitute. I'm so thankful I didn't have to try to work my way into heaven. You know, you never can. There's not, well, you can't do it anyway. <laughs> I started to say there's not enough good work. You can't do it. I'm so glad when God looked on me and on you and on all of mankind he said they need a Savior. And when he said they need a Savior, Jesus said, I'll go. And I will be the sacrifice that they might have everlasting life.